We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today we have a special guest on, someone who's been on the show before, a reoccurring guest. It's Trevor Sikama, Tampa Bay Trey, you know him as on Twitter. And he recently just got, I don't know if I'm allowed to announce this on air. I hope so. Otherwise, we'll edit it out after. But he recently just got a promotion up to lead draft analyst for Pro Football Focus. We've had him on to talk draft before. He's the host of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast with Connor Rogers. I literally listen to every single one of those drafts. Uh, I'm sorry, podcasts in the pre-draft run-up. And I'm not kidding. You could look at my podcast app after this, Trevor, and you'll see play, 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 download, download. So that was an excellent podcast. It's my favorite thing during that time of year. So we're excited to have him back on and talk a little bit of Giants football today. We're going to focus on the young guys. We're going to focus on both of Joe Shane's draft classes. We don't care about the get classes anymore and then we're going to focus on a little bit of a preview about the upcoming draft class in 2024 because Trevor himself told me before the pod that he uh is getting a really early start and already has a top 150 draft board that will be out on pro football focus soon if not already so if you want to get an early head start you'll be able to do that as well but before we do any of that Trevor I wanted to see how are you doing today man I am doing great man you Shoot, you basically hit everything you possibly could on that intro. And I, I also, I trust you. I don't need to see your podcast feed. I trust you that you've <laughs> listened to the, to the episodes that you say you have. I really appreciate it. Not just you, but anybody who listens to the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. We have a lot of fun doing that throughout um, the entire football calendar. And I know that people ramp up for it during draft season. So I always appreciate anybody who listens because it's a lot of fun to do. Trevor, thank sure. you so much for joining us. And I know you have been covering the NFL draft for quite a while. Through two drafts, what are your impressions of Joe Shane and Brian Dable's philosophy? And what do you think they're trying to build here with the New York Giants? Well, I, I really like the way that they have both approached the NFL draft. I thought that certainly their first draft last year with those two premium picks, you go, okay, we need to build through the trenches and we need to make sure that we're using our premium picks on premium positions uh, to make sure that we fortify those areas really well. So getting Evan Neal, getting uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, I thought that those were fantastic, not just picks, but philosophical picks. Like that's what you really want to see. I think that when Gettleman's been the general manager before, and, and I think that you see this certainly outside of New York as well, you'll look at a lot of general managers. You just go, man, you're just not, 
utilizing the premium picks the way that you would want to. And it's like, you're almost like taking luxury picks when you're not really in a luxury position as a franchise. And so you could sit here and you could tell yourself all you want, like, Hey, we picked a good football player. And maybe you did. I know that that's the end of the, at the end of the day, the object is to get as many good football players on your team as possible. But there is a strategy and a science to timing how you are picking certain players, what you're doing with certain contracts, opening up that window for, okay, are we in a winning timeline right now? Or are we in a rebuilding timeline right now? And I just think that not just for the draft picks themselves, but I also go to the NFL combine every year. See, I get the chance to listen to a lot of these GMs talk. I know a lot of like you guys and people who really cover the team. Sometimes you get to hear these guys talk a lot more, but that's really my first and only exposure sometimes with seeing them in person. I just love hearing about their philosophical approach of, how they wanted team build. And I think that they have put the Giants in a really great situation. You saw last year, I think they exceeded a lot of expectations with the players that they had on their roster. And this year, I think that it's kind of the same thing. Now it's a, now it's a playoff expectation for a team that we didn't know if they were going to get to that point this quickly with the change in the regime. And I feel like they are because of that philosophy that we've heard from them over the last couple of years. So I've really enjoyed not just the picks, but also the, uh, the mindset behind them. Yeah, it's been a breath of fresh air for Nick and I as well. We were not big fans of the Dave Gettleman era at all, my, myself especially. I'm happy to see it go. I'm happy to get somebody in here who's more competent with a much better plan and approach. And for me, it's always been about the process. Like the picks may not work out. They may work out. In my opinion, there's a lot of luck involved in NFL draft and finding the players. But if the process is strong, you give yourself a better chance. So I want to ask you a little bit about some of the young players they've drafted. And I want to start with Deontay Banks. Deontay Banks, the Giants first round pick in the pre-draft process. Nick and I both considered it basically a you know dream if they could get him at 25. We didn't think it was possible. Obviously, they traded up one spot, but we didn't think it was possible. We thought it was kind of one of those like luck, you know, luck based scenarios if the Giants were to land a player like that at that spot. We both viewed him as more of a top 15, 20 prospect in this class, and he fit the position they needed the most. Where did you view Deontay Banks before the process? How do you think he fits a Wink Martindale man heavy scheme? And what are your thoughts on that draft pick and the decision to trade up one spot? I love him. Uh, you know, he got a first round grade from me and and he's somebody who brings man coverage ability to the corner position. I think that you see around the NFL now, there's a lot of these guys who maybe they they don't have to be these press man players. We're seeing a lot of different zone coverage deployments, you know, whether it's two deep safeties, whether the, the league as a whole, I know is playing a lot more quarters. And so asking these guys to just straight up, Hey, guard the guy in front of you. Sometimes that's not necessarily every coach's bread and butter. Sometimes they want to do things with a little bit more schematic base, but with banks, he always felt like he gave you that ability to play the toughest assignment that a corner can have, which is playing on the outside, playing on the boundary, going up against these big wide receiver ones and saying, go guard them, play with your back to the ball, play with confidence, play with physicality, play with athleticism. And I thought he did that really, really well. At Maryland, he showed that he had some of the best man coverage ability in the entire class, and that's why he ended up getting a first-round grade for me last year. And so I love him in New York specifically because you guys know this. Uh, Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, loves to be aggressive, and you get to be even more aggressive when you have these players who can change the math for you a little bit. You know, if, if, if you have one guy in your secondary who you can say, go guard one of their best receivers and you have faith that they're going to be able to do it well, then all of a sudden like, okay, 
Maybe you don't have to put cap coverage over them. Maybe you don't have to have a safety on this side of, of the field. You can rotate them a little bit more towards the middle or more towards the opposite hash. Maybe they're playing a little bit more in the box. Then all of a sudden you're changing the math elsewhere because you can go one for one with a really important position. And certainly with the game being very pass heavy now, that's paramount. And that's that to me, when, when we think of premium positions, you know, going back to draft strategy, I think a lot of people look at, quarterbacks certainly but then pass rushers and pass protectors mainly edge rushers and offensive tackles and they would say okay those are the three premium positions well in today's game i would expand that and i would tell you that lockdown corners and certainly take over wide receivers would also be premium position type players they start to get into that conversation and so again allocating a first round pick on a guy who brings you premium return with the abilities that he has. So really like Deontay um, hit now his style might take a little bit of time in the league. I think that Patrick Sertan jr. And sauce Gardner, I think they're skewing things in, in the yeah. wrong direction for perception. Sometimes where people go like, Oh, look at what sauce Gardner was able to do. I want my corner who's coming in for my team in his first year to be able to do that. That is the exception of something that we should marvel at and appreciate, not necessarily say that's what we expect every time. So with banks, knowing how much of a one-on-one -on -one mentality he has and his strengths in his scouting reports, that to me might take a little bit of time, might take that second year for him to really hit the ground running and become a, a true lockdown player like we saw him play at Maryland. And so those are my thoughts on him overall, like the approach, and I like the fit of the team that drafted. With the busy fall season just around the corner, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. So if you have a specific diet, if you go to the gym a lot and you need to get your macros in, Factor is an elite option for you. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. As someone with a specific way of eating, Factor is perfect. Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, preparing, and cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back to crushing your life and crushing your goals. Refresh your healthy habits without missing a beat. Choose from 34 plus weekly flavor packed, dietitian approved meals. This August, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. And again, ready in two minutes. Head to factormeals.com slash bigbluebanter50 and use code bigbluebanter50 to get 50% off. That's code bigbluebanter50, all one word, at factormeals.com slash bigbluebanter50 to get that precious 50% off. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, I've got a few hours to go, I'm going to this game, I'm buying tickets, and I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing, the anxiety's at an all-time high, and you're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. 
I use the GameTime app. The GameTime app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last-minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games having a good time and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup final week one this past season. I used the game time app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas, saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the game time app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their videotapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view, not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. Lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. Snag the tickets without the stress of, with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B A N T E R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER, B A N T E R, for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Premium draft picks, Kayvon Thibodeau, pass rusher, Evan Neal, pass protector, and Cornerback Deontay Banks, your three highest picks for Joe Shane right there, Trevor Sikkim. So I actually have a philosophical question in terms of one of the Giants coordinators, Wink Martindale. You mentioned how a lot of the league is kind of going to a quarters match, cover four type of system. Wink Martindale likes middle of the field closed. He likes man coverage. He likes to send the pressure. What are your overall thoughts about a coordinator who is successful, kind of bucking the trend and deviating from what a lot of the other NFL coordinators are doing? Yeah, I mean, it's you always want to try to keep – offenses guessing right you know even if you're playing a type of coverage like everybody I I think the buzzword that everybody has said over the last couple of years is like oh you got to play too deep or you got to play quarters right I mean you got to you got to play these guys far back because you know the Joe Burrows the Patrick Mahomes the Josh Allen's you got to let them beat you in the intermediate to short not give them that over the top stuff over the middle so that's why you're playing those open coverages with those two deep safeties as opposed to close coverage with a single high guy like we saw I think in the early 2010s it was a lot more popular but if you are doing something that the opposing offense is going to expect, that could also be a negative. So Martindale is somebody who I think has just always been a heavy, put the pressure on him kind of a guy. You know, we're going to put your back against the wall. And if you make a play on us, hey, we'll tip the hat to you. But you better be able to make a play under pressure. We're going to be exotic with our blitzes. We're going to have guys that can come at you from probably eight different spots on the defense, maybe even more than that. And then in the secondary, yeah, we're going to play lockdown. We're going to draft those guys like Deontay Banks, like those type of players where when we do want to get super aggressive, when we do want to play cover one, cover zero, whatever it is, we've got faith that we can we can hold our ground in the secondary long enough for the pass rush to overwhelm things and really get to those quarterbacks. So I think it's fascinating, and I always do. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know more about the game or even the chess match that some of these great offensive and defensive coordinators are, are going through every single week with their game plans. But I do love that he is zigging while the rest of the league is zagging, if you will, in these certain ways. Because again, no matter what you deploy in defense, if you are predictable, that's the worst thing that you can be. Not, oh, the worst thing that you could be is a man coverage team or a two deep team or a single high team or a cover three team or whatever it is. It's if you're predictable, that's the worst part of it. So Martindale clearly 
wanting to be as uh, exotic and as, as, as different as possible in that regard. Cause he's always trying to keep offenses on their toes. I think that's a great point by you, Trevor, because you know, you look at even just Nick has brought this up a bunch and is a great point. The Jaguars game last year. I mean, it felt so anti Martindale, but he dropped eight against Trevor Lawrence, basically the whole, a lot of the game. And he was trying to kind of do things differently than he had done all season long for that matchup. And that was specifically how he wanted to approach Trevor Lawrence for that week. And honestly, he found a good amount of success there in that game. So just good to see that the giants have a coordinator. Who's not just going to have a system that they're going to play every week. It's going to be different in my opinion, uh, depending on the matchup. I want to flip it over a little bit, uh, staying within this draft class. And we're going to get back to John Michael Schmitz, who was the giant second round pick. But before we do that, I actually want to talk Jalen Hyatt a little bit. So Jalen Hyatt was your 81st ranked player. If I'm not mistaken, your 12th ranked receiver going into the draft. Nick and I had similar Concerns. We never really understood the first round hype. Um, but I think for me, it was less so what he didn't do or what he, you know, like what he didn't have to do in that jot and then in that hypo system. For me, it was more play strength issues um, and after the catch creativity that I wasn't as high on. But obviously, so far, he's been unbelievable for the Giants in training camp in the preseason, had a touchdown where he really showed off his athletic skill, in my opinion, and his next level game changing acceleration and speed and ability to kind of get in and out of his breaks. But what are your thoughts on Hyatt and the discussion surrounding, you know, from that coming from that system, maybe you don't want to take somebody like that so high. And do you think that he might be able to translate his skill set faster than maybe people expected? Yeah. So with Hyatt, you know, he's, he brought up a lot of really interesting discussions. I think certainly pre-draft. Um, in fact, during this preseason, after he scored that touchdown, I remember somebody tweeting at me and they're like, you know, you doubted him or whatever. And I was like, I didn't <laughs> doubt he was fast. What do you mean? Like, that's exactly what he was on that play. Like, no, nobody's ever said he wasn't fast. But when you talk about where you rank players and it's very difficult to do a general for the league top 150 top 200 prospects because everything is so focused on the types of players that will play within a certain system with certain coordinators certain philosophies those things so that definitely goes into it every team's big board around the league is going to be different and when it comes to me having Hyatt in the 80s in my rankings the reason why he's lower there for me than he was with other players is because not that I didn't think that he could succeed in the right scheme with the right deployment, but I thought he was a lot more scheme or deployment dependent than some of these other receivers that I had ranked ahead of him. And the play strength is definitely a reason why NFL is a grown man's game. Like it, it, it's a, it's a strong person's game. And so even when you watch some of those plays, like I've caught a little bit of Hyatt, you know, I watched a couple of his plays over the last couple of weeks and you can see exactly what the Giants are trying to do with him. You know, deep overs where he's going across the field, getting his momentum going. So if he's in man coverage, you know, by the if you're giving him 15, 20 yards to get his top speed, chances are he's going to gain some separation. And so they had him in a couple of those opportunities, which worked out well. Obviously, the touchdown catch that he had, pretty brilliant, right? He was the, I believe he was the three option to the right side of the formation. And when you have a guy with that type of speed as the three, well, the best corners playing on the outside over the one, the best slot defenders playing over the two. And then who's playing over the three, a linebacker or a single high safety, as we saw in that, in, in that instance, that person's supposed to guard Jalen Hyatt with space. Yeah. yeah it's probably not going to end well. And it didn't for them. So we saw the result of that, but that's again, really great deployment. That's great usage of what he's good at on the flip side. I saw them use him 
on those shallow drag routes, those mesh concepts where it was like, hey, we're just kind of going to have him try to run as fast as he can, pretty much even with the line, parallel with the line of scrimmage, dump it off to him, see what he could do after the catch. He didn't do a lot after the catch because when somebody catches up to him, when they basically get one arm on him on a tackle, he's going down. And in fact, in one instance, I saw, I remember the one play where he was getting tackled to the sideline, that ball even flew out like that. He yeah. fumbled that ball off the tackle. Yeah. Now it was lucky because it bounced out of bounds, but like that's the strength part that you worry about. And so for Hyatt, a lot of different types of receivers now in New York. I think the Darren Waller edition is going to be huge, but all of that I think can play well to where you can hide some of Hyatt's weaknesses just like Tennessee did in a way that allowed him to become the Bolitnikoff winner because he was so damn productive. Now I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, the most productive receiver in the NFL, but I am saying that those opportunities where less than they are in college football will still exist if you can really set up a game plan for him and put him in those right situations. So for Hyatt, to me, it was always going to be about how you were deploying him. I love the way that Kafka has orchestrated not just him, but the offense overall. I, I watched all of Daniel Jones' passes so far this preseason. I know they, I know it wasn't a lot, but like I'm watching this offense, and that ball's coming out of his hands so quick because the setup, the play call, the confidence, the everything, it's all there already. So the creativity has been nice. The play call has been nice. The flow of when to call, what plays, all that stuff. So um, now I'm getting into a bigger discussion. But yeah, I think that there there is certainly room for Hyatt to be productive, even if I thought that other receivers were more scheme independent than he was going into the uh, going into the draft. Trevor, I think you articulated that perfectly because it is difficult to judge a wide receiver specifically when you have no idea where they're going to land and. Brian Dable and Joe Shane after the draft said that they liked specific route concepts that Josh Heupel used with Jalen Hyatt and similar to how Gabe Davis, who played for Heupel at UCF as well, coming out of that same offense, you cover all 32 teams. I think continuity is huge in the NFL with Brian Dable and Joe Shane. These guys are like best buddies. Do you see other teams who have general managers and head coaches who are perfectly aligned like that? Because I think the additions of guys like Deontay Banks and, and Jalen Hyatt are, are so specific and tailored towards the coordinators and exactly what each coach needs. And I don't think that's universal around the NFL. And I just wanted to ask your opinion as somebody who covers all the teams. No, it's definitely not universal. I, I mean, I would say that the Steelers operation, I mean, they're very in sync. You know, I think that they have very great drafts and the head coach GM combination there has always been a step in line with what they want. I mean, when Bruce Arians was in Tampa Bay, I thought that Arians and, and, and Jason Light got along extremely when it came to the draft room, when it came to free agency, like adding those guys. It was clearly the exact players that they want. I think just off the top of my head, I'm just thinking around the rest of the league, like, John Snyder and Pete Carroll, I think also have a now not to say that it always works out with all of these teams because it doesn't, but clearly they all have a lot of confidence in what they want to do. And that's, what's most important, right? As a coach and general manager, you don't want to be hesitant or like one foot in one foot out about like, Oh, like, okay, here's what we kind of want to do. But if it doesn't work, like maybe we'll be able to, you know, fall back on something else. You want to draft good football players who are versatile, no question about it, but you also have to have a vision for the team and you have to add free agents and sign contracts and draft certain guys where you are going along with that vision. 
if it needs to pivot, sure, it needs to pivot. But that doesn't mean you're any less confident in where you're going when you're trying to make those moves. So I agree, man. I think that the uh, the Joe Chain Brian Dable connection, like I said at the very beginning, through first the the first two drafts, I I love the the vision of what they have. I love the philosophy behind it, and they are to me over the last couple of seasons one of my favorite GM head coach pairings because of what you said. They're so in sync, and they have um, that that in sync path for where they want the team to be. Yeah, I think you broke that down really well. Um, and I think that's a good point by you, Nick, because it's something that I've even discussed in the past. I remember meeting one time with a former NFL head coach who essentially told me that, you know, some of the first round picks that were made during his tenure were not the players he wanted, which was just crazy to me. It's like the GM had the final say, and especially on one big quarterback decision, just amazing to me that a head coach could be out on that decision and it still goes through. Um, it just seems like such a dysfunctional situation that can't work long-term. And obviously in that case, uh, it didn't that's, work long-term. That's, that's not even uh, mentioning when owners come in and tell the <laughs> yeah. head coaches and the GMs who they want to pick and the, uh, the oh, rest man. of the front office. Good old Danny boy. Good old Danny Schneier. <laughs> not Dan Schneier, by the way, similar name, but not the same and not spelled anywhere near the, each other. So stop, uh, stop getting me wrong for him on social media, but yeah, those days are gone apparently at least for Washington. But I want to ask you a little bit and transition this to John Michael Schmitz, the player the Giants selected in the second round. I think if I'm not mistaken, mistaken he was your first ranked center in this class and the 45th ranked player overall, the Giants got him a few picks later. Um, maybe so a little bit of value there uh, according to your board. What, what are your thoughts on Schmitz in your mind? What kind of impact can he make in year one? Or should we, should Giants fans be thinking Creed Humphrey level impact or something a little bit lesser? What are the expectations for year one for JMS? Yeah. I mean, he's in terms of pure centers, I think he was, he was the one that you wanted in the class. I think everybody looked at him versus, you know, Joe Titman. I think those were, that was kind of the debate pre draft of who you'd rather have at center, like Michael Schmitz, uh, better in that category. Steve Avila from TCU is somebody who, I projected a guard, but he had played center before. So if you viewed him as a center, like, okay, I think he would have been in that conversation. But Michael Schmitz, man, he's just, he was so experienced coming out. And you love that from a center. I mean, I think that you want centers that have a ton of experience coming out of college football. I know that that's not necessarily the case for a lot of these other positions. You know, you look at these superior athletic positions like corner, wide receiver, certainly quarterback if they're really good, uh, running backs. These players who athleticism is is their main is going to be their main calling card just because of the position that they play. You kind of want to look towards underclassmen because, like, if they are that athletic, it's probably going to stand out, and you're and those guys are going to leave early. For centers, there's not a ton of centers who are blowing the doors off of the grades and the rankings and everything to the point where they're going to be underclassmen. A lot of times, they're going to be seniors, grad seniors, whatever it is. And but you like that about. And I like that about John Michael Schmitz. He just had a ton of experience when he was coming out of Minnesota. And you you go to the you go to an event like the Senior Bowl, and I felt like he I felt like there were actually a couple of reps where he struggled a little bit, but he was able to adjust so well. It was like, oh, okay, this guy got me for this. Wait until I get him the next time, and it's going to be curtains. And it was, and like that is a aspect of the Senior Bowl that I think gets underreported a little bit is not just the first reps, but the second reps when guys go up against each other. Like, okay, did you win because you you did something that somebody was not really expecting? Okay, well, can you do it again? Or do you have something else in the tank where you could best that player again? That's why, you know, guys like um, 
like Will McDonald, for example. Like McDonald was was crazy at the senior bowl because he was beating everybody. It didn't matter. And he was beating him with all different types of moves. And with Schmitz, I felt like his 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 reaction or when he got to go up against guys a second time, they rarely beat him. And to me, that was just such a great sign of you got a vet on your hands. This is somebody who, when he gets to the NFL, the game's not going to be too big for him. Um, you could tell that he had that toughness, that competitive toughness to him, even when he was playing at the senior bowl. So I love to see that in person from him, but he was somebody who, again, I think that that's probably the best way that I can encapsulate my thoughts on him. The game was not going to be too big for him when he got to that NFL level. So I didn't know if I didn't know what team he was going to go to at the time, but I also didn't know if he was going to be a starter in year one, but he is somebody who, whether it was a center or potentially filling in at guard, if a guy went down and he ended up being a reserve player, I wasn't worried about him uh, getting overwhelmed at the pro level. Yeah, we're not worried about that either. But I look at the NFC East and I see the defensive lineman he's going to be going up against twice a year, and I get a little scared. I mean, I mean, he's John, still a rookie. He's still he's still a rookie. So <laughs> he's still a rookie. There's one more player from this Giants overall class that I want to ask you about, and that is Hobble Baldonado. Not drafted by the New York Giants, but an undrafted free agent. He was your 150th ranked player on your. 150th ranked list right there. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Comes in last. And Dan and I like him. I think there's a spot for him on this roster because your edge three, not named Jihad Ward, since he's somewhat of a tweener, is O'Shane Zimenez right now. So I think he could make this roster. But I wanted to ask you what you liked about his tape at Pitt and what do you think he can offer this New York Giants Wink Martindale coordinated defense? I mean, I thought it was a heavy-handed dude who could be pretty versatile in a couple of different schemes. Like, you could use him as a five-tech defensive end in a four-down system. I felt like he had some length and strength to him where you could use him even as a um, three-four defensive end. He could take up some space. I felt like that was going to be his game at the NFL level. He just didn't have that speed. You know, he just didn't have that burst. Like, his, he had the heavy feet. He wasn't going to be beating anybody with with his first-step explosiveness. And I felt like when I watch him, it's like, okay, it's – It's hard to really get this across to people who um, I don't want to say are like casual to the NFL draft, but like they'll look at a guy who me or somebody else are like, I know you guys are big into it too. Like if you rank a little bit lower and they go, Oh, see, like you said, this guy can't play. And it's like, no, (laughs) it's not that they can't play. It's just that what they're bringing to the table is, something that you can find every year. So that doesn't mean that when he gets to your team, he's not going to be a decent depth player, a decent NFL player, a guy who could play in that second, third string, be able to give you some nice snaps here and there. That's not what we're saying. I guess sometimes is what we're saying. But like in this instance, that's not what we're saying. It's just that because he didn't have those rare athletic traits, when I watched him, it goes, I go, okay, this is somebody who you might be able to find a player like this every single year. It, it's a lot more likely that you could find this in those fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. And I know you guys talking about him uh, being an after the draft kind of a guy. And so that was, that's, that's why when you look at him, whether it's on my rankings, whether it's on other people's rankings, you go like, Oh man, look at it. Look how low he was in the rankings. It means he can't play. Definitely doesn't mean he can't play. It was just more of a, these are his traits. These are how rare the traits are and how replaceable they might be from draft to draft. So with him, like I said, heavy-handed dude. I think he has some versatility, which are the kind of guys that you want to get on day three and after the draft as well. Um, I was told by 
um, Dirk Cutter, who was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when I was the beat reporter many years ago. He said, look, if you play in the trenches, if you don't have a starting spot, whether it's offensive line or defensive line, he said, if you play in the trenches, you better be able to play two or three positions that we want you to play along the trenches if you don't have that one starting role. If you have a starting job as a three-tech defensive tackle, then you go, okay, that's what you need to hone in on. You're a three-tech defensive tackle. That's what we want you to do. If you are a starting defensive end, if you are a starting guard, okay, this is what you want to do. But if you are not one of those starting spots, you better make sure you're versatile. Because when guys go down, when when and they need somebody to fill in, whether it's injury or whatever reason it is, you got to be versatile. And I think Valdonado is somebody who gives you some versatility as a heavier edge type of tweener player. I like it. And we'll have to see what happens with Baldonado. He's got one more game. He's most likely to play in their final preseason game. Probably one of those bubble guys on the roster, but sounds like he has a good amount of upside and it looks that way on tape too. So I feel like that he might have a good shot to make the roster. I want to talk a little second year players with you too, Trevor. Um, I want to start here with Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, the first player the Giants selected in the new, new regime. Thibodeau, first season, I thought, you know, he was great in some spots. There were there were areas of his game where Nick and I wanted him to take another step. First of all, we wanted to see him set the edge, set a stronger edge. And we also wanted to see a little bit more from a pass rushing standpoint, specifically hand usage, improved hand usage. Early results from the preseason are pretty good. He had a couple really great reps in his preseason debut against the Panthers. One pass rushing move where he had, did a great job with his hands. And then a, a run a run stop that I thought he did an excellent job of kind of positioning himself to get into multiple gaps that caused the run play to blow up. What were your initial thoughts on Kayvon Thibodeau coming into the NFL? Like, did you, how do you view him as a pass rusher and then overall edge prospect? He, I mean, he was awesome. I loved Kayvon coming into the draft. I thought that he was going to be a starting edge at some point in the NFL. You know, him getting picked as highly as he did was something that was par for the course for me. You know, it was him and Aiden Hutchinson, right? They were right there, depending on who he asked. They could give you a different name. I think I ended up having Kayvon as edge one that season, right above Hutchinson. Um, and the reason why is because I just thought he I, I thought he gave you for as good as Hutchinson became as a speed rusher in that final year at Michigan, Kayvon, I felt like gave you more natural ability, more natural flexibility uh, to be an edge bender, to be a speed rusher. But even at Oregon, I agree with you guys completely. There were times when I felt like he relied too much on just being more naturally athletic than the guy in front of him as a means to get to the quarterback. And that works really well in college. But as we saw last year, when he was fully healthy, that does not work in the NFL. You, you, there are so few players that live off athleticism alone. Like look at Jadavian Clowney too, when he came out. Jadavian Clowney is, yeah. is truly a genetic marvel. I mean, speed, bend, flexibility, power. Like he is... He has it all. He truly has it all. And even he was not the player we thought he could be at the NFL level because he didn't hone in on the technique. He, the, the hand usage did not get to be what it needed to be as a pass rusher. He was a really good run defender, but didn't have the pass rush moves, wasn't able to master those and pull those off. And for Kayvon, I wanted to make sure that he was going to get in the lab and really become that that pass rusher between the ears, you know, the, the pass rush profile, the pass rush plan. Okay. I attacked the guy on the outside shoulder. The last couple of reps, I saw him start to cheat to beat me to a spot on the outside. Now I'm going to hit him with the inside move. Now I'm going to hit him with the swim, whatever it is. And so 
I think that continuing to grow there is going to be huge for pass rushers. I always feel like year two, year three is the year where we really see them become what we thought of them in the pre-draft process, even for some of the best guys. And I agree with you. I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen every snap of Kayvon. I can't remember how much he's played this preseason, but even in those snaps that I have seen, saw a couple of pass rush reps where he was pushing and pulling guys and he was hitting the hand swipe and he was getting them off of them. And then there was a couple of run defense snaps where he was firing his hands up with fantastic leverage, holding the point of attack because he got those hands up in and, uh, and under with really good leverage. And so like, that's the stuff that we need to see more of. That was never a question of, can he do it? And that's why he was ranked so highly for me and so many other people. It was just, we need to see more consistency from him in that regard. And, I'm with y'all. I'm with y'all. I'm, I'm pleasantly, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised, but like, it's great to see. It's great to see him, even in those couple of reps, be able to do what he's done this preseason. Two picks later, Trevor, we had Evan Neal selected to the New York Giants. And similar to Andrew Thomas, he had a rough rookie season. Now, I don't know if it's fair to expect an Andrew Thomas level year one to year two jump, but do you expect Evan Neal to kind of even out a little bit with his conscientious nature and his work ethic and just kind of his overall size and athletic ability? Yeah, again, it's I'm, I'm, I'm glad that y'all have the Andrew Thomas example right there because Thomas was my OT one in the draft that he came out. And when he struggled as much as he did his rookie year, I'm somebody who always says, like, especially when it comes to trench play, hey, year two, year three is when these guys break out. Whether it's offensive tackles, edge rushers, defensive tackles, whatever it is, trench play in the NFL is so strong, so fast, so difficult to truly stand out amongst the best in the world at a violent physical sport that I always give it time. But even, even I, that first year for Andrew Thomas, I was like, it doesn't look good. I don't know. I need to see something a little bit, but I'm obviously very excited for him, for you guys. And uh, selfishly for my scouting email that he ended up working out. And um, so I'm glad that you have that example there, because even if he doesn't have that Andrew Thomas like jump, because Andrew Thomas became an elite player last year, that's a good reminder that it does take time. Even for guys that you draft really high, even for the guys that you believe are super talented when you've got them on your big board, when you draft them on draft night, you're super excited for it. It does take time. And for Evan Neal, he had the size, he had the speed, he had the strength, but there were even areas of his game where he looked a little bit overwhelmed at times when he was uh, at Alabama. And I think that that's the stuff that only gets multiplied more. You talk about watching tape and it's like, oh, you know, when you're a rookie, you don't have a lot of tape on you. Sure you do. You have the college tape, which the coaches will go back and watch and they'll go, this is where this team ate him alive at the college level. You're a lot better than that college player that he went up against. Go do the same thing to him. And you really are able to magnify a lot of weaknesses of these rookies that start in the trenches in their first year. So for Neil, to me, it was always something that was going to need more consistency. I mean, faster foot speed, better hand placement, better anticipation, but anticipation is a thing with a lot of these guys. The second you start to see things before they're, before they happen, that's when the light really comes on and that's when talent can really shine. So I'm hoping that that's the case for, uh, for Neil. I'm hoping that it's the best year yet for him, of course, coming up. Yeah, and we'll have to see if that he's definitely made some strides so far in the preseason and in the few snaps we've seen, but still a long ways to go there in my mind. Uh, I want to talk to you about one more player, and Nick, you might have some more uh, that you want to discuss from that class, but I think the most curious pick of the Joe Shane era by far, to at least Nick and I, was Wondell Robinson, uh, 44 overall after trading back. I think Nick was a little bit higher on the pick than I was originally, but I don't think either of us were thinking it was a slam dunk at the time. 
I just think in general, when you're taking wide receivers at his size in the top 50, you're adding a lot of risk to the profile, unless they're like a Devontae Smith type, who's also a bigger player, by the way, and has just like filthy film. I never felt like Wanda Rumson was at that level on tape. So what were your thoughts on that pick at the time? And what was your evaluation on Robinson? Where did he rank for you? And, and what's kind of the long-term ceiling fans can expect there? God, where did Wandale rank for me? I can't, I can't remember. I, I would, I would okay. have to go back and check where he ended up ranking. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I wasn't super no high on, on Wandale because of, of kind of what you mentioned. It, it's really tough to succeed being that small of a player. Like you really have to be crazy athletic and Wandale is in some ways, but I think a lot of people look at like what Tyree kill is and they go like, Oh yeah, small little Tyree kill type of player. That's what we're trying to put in this offense. I mean, like there's, there's only one basically <laughs> Tyree kill. Yeah. So it's really hard. I think, I think they, I don't want to learn their lesson is exactly the right words that I want to use, but I think the Hyatt pick a year later told me like, okay, we probably didn't eval that role the correct way with Wandale and we're going back to it around later with Jalen Hyatt. And so that to me was what it felt like when they picked Jalen Hyatt. I even remember this on draft night. I thought to myself, like, that feels like what they actually wanted from Wandale Moore. Maybe or not Wandale Moore, uh Wandale Robinson. Maybe that's not the case, but that speed element player I felt was a much more correct draft valuation for Jalen Hyatt where they picked Jalen Hyatt than it was for when they picked Wandale Robinson and obviously the type and size of receiver that they were picking there. So I agree with you. It was just some unnecessary pressure and um certainly there's plenty of time for him to uh, show us that the best is yet to come for him. I'm not saying that that's not possible. It certainly is. But that to me, the pick was one that shocked me given the fact that they went trench player, premium position, trench player, premium position, super small outlier, sometimes injured wide receiver. It, what pick, what pick was it? It was pick 44, 43. So it was like, those don't those are those are very conflicting philosophies i think and and they went they went with an outlier and they really haven't done that since i don't think in really right. any round and i think that they kind cordell of uh, would be the one that uh, did the round later in the next year cordell flop but he's still six foot one so he has good height it's just he was like 170 pounds and 20 yeah. years old so and you can and, put on that weight Right. And Cordell, you're right. He was, so he was a third round pick. I was thinking in my head that he was a fourth round pick, like a day three guy. Cause if you're drafting yeah. a guy, the guy like that in day three, it makes sense. Third round. Yeah. Okay. It was again, like it was probably a little bit rich. That draft was probably a live lesson for them in you have your board set up a certain way, but you also have just like the guys that you want to go get. Right. Where mm-hmm. you could say to yourself, because this is this is this is the fun of a draft game. And I'm not going to pretend that I've been in a war room and understand what it's like when you're under the gun and when the clock comes on. But it's like you have your board. And I think you've got GMs and head coaches that say we're going to stick to our value. All right. If this guy is a fourth round grade for us, we're not taking him until the four, like or like whatever it is. Like if this is our draft order, this is our rankings. This is what it is. But there are some others where they go. 
you know what we but we really just want this guy i want to leave draft weekend with this guy on our football team and i wonder if that was the case with both robinson and flot and it might have been a little bit of an overdraft for both but that's kind of the mindset that they had going into it because i'm sure that they've done some self-scouting and say like okay Let's see how we handled the draft this year. Did we like how we approached every single pick? Did we like our philosophy there? Or is it something that we wish we handled a little bit differently? Maybe they still love it. I don't know. Maybe that's the case because Flott did play really well as a slot guy early on in his LSU career. So maybe they were leaning on that sort of thing. But again, that's kind of just talking more into their draft philosophy and how they went about it. But um, those were no, right. Like those that. two picks were interesting. No, you're I you're like right, Trevor. Offer. You're right, Trevor. And it's also because Joe Shane was operating with Dave Gettleman's scouting staff through his first draft. They didn't let a lot of those guys go and bring in. So they probably liked Cordell Flott. They liked the fact that he was young. With Wondell Robinson specifically, what happened there, in my opinion, now that we're a year removed and we can kind of reflect back, the Giants looked at their wide receiver room and like, this is trash. This is not going to work for Mike Kafka and Brian Dable with Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney. To be frank, you know, he was coming off of his rookie season. He's injured a lot and he can't pick up the playbook. He doesn't know where to be or where to run his routes. And it's a very complex system. So they looked at Wondell Robinson and they were like, this is a very smart player right here who can execute a lot of different roles for us. I think the Jalen Hyatt pick is a little bit separate from the Wondell Robinson pick, even though they're both technically kind of slot guys, just because Jalen Hyatt is definitely the vertical stretch element. I think Wondell Robinson is the short A dot element, get the football in his hands. He's a former running back, allow him to use his vision to beat players in space. But I think that's the main reason why they went with Wandell was because they just looked at their wide receiver room, Sterling Shepard coming off of a torn Achilles. They're like, oh, man, it's right. a mess right here. Yeah, I would definitely yeah, agree I- with you that he, Wandale is certainly like size and build. Those are different types of wide receivers between him and Jalen Hyatt. But I do wonder because uh, it wasn't his, was his junior or senior year? Was his last year? Was he a senior or junior? I can't remember. But the year before his final year, when he really started to get onto the scene with Kentucky, they were using him deep down the field. Like they were using him as sort of what we've seen from Jalen Hyatt this preseason, where it's like, okay, you're the shallow player or you're the field stretcher. Like we can use your speed in both ways. And what your your point and your context is totally important when you look at why they might have drafted him a little bit earlier. But I wonder if they had that vision for him where they go, okay, we can use his speed in the shallow areas, but we could also use his speed in the vertical areas. And now they're kind of thinking that Jalen Hyatt can also be a similar player to that. So I wonder, I wonder how different Robinson's role is going to be now with Hyatt there, which way, which way do they lean more for him? Is he going to be that quick underneath guy? um, Or are they going to continue to maybe try to get some, some, some usage out of him vertically? We saw some air raid staples in that. Oh, sorry, Dan. Saw some air raid no, staples okay. in that first preseason game with yeah. Jalen Hyatt as the backside one running the drag. We're going to see a ton of that. We're also going to see Darren Waller as the backside one with mismatches, which we also saw. So I just wanted to ask you, because you brought up how you watched Daniel Jones on that 10-play, 75-yard touchdown drive that was capped off by Daniel Bellinger's touchdown. What did you What did you think? I mean, I, I love seeing Daniel Jones on the move, the RPO elements. I just, I really do believe that this coaching staff, Mike Kafka specifically, is one of the most undervalued offensive coordinators in the league. And it's just maybe because he doesn't have the experience, but man, he really positions his players optimally. And Daniel Jones is doing a good job taking advantage of of what the defense is presenting. him. It's just a lot of options for him and his athletic ability. It really puts a lot of defenders into conflict. I'd agree a hundred percent. I mean, Daniel Jones went sixth, right? Didn't he go sixth in his draft? So I I think he, he gains a lot of 
flack and the Giants getting a lot of flack from him going six. And was Daniel Jones worth the number six overall pick? No, probably not. But that doesn't mean like this dude's not a much better quarterback than a lot of people gave him credit for, especially early on and especially on draft night. Because what I've seen over the preseason is a very confident player who knows that he can win with both his arms and his legs. And I felt like those things have been independent with Jones previously. Like some plays he thought like, oh, okay, like I've got to, or some years I should say previously, he said, oh, okay, um, I got to win this play with my arm or I got to win this play with my legs. Now, certainly even on that drive, the confidence that he had to do both, whichever one was most advantageous for him, to me speaks volumes into what Brian Dable and Mike Kafka are saying to him and walking walking through with him in practice to where, you know, you mentioned the general manager head coach continuity. I mean, the head coach, offense coordinator, quarterback continuity in, in, in New York, I think is going to be fantastic this year. And I think this is going to be a really efficient offense, especially for not just how they were deploying some of these players, but even like the play design, you know, there was a play where, Oh, it was, it was like a, it was a simple throw and catch, but it was one of I was so impressed. I went back and I watched it a bunch of times. The tight end is on the, the tight end is to the field side and he is running to the sideline. But then also I think there was either a wing back or a fullback that was also trailing him like five yards behind him that was carrying both the slot defender and the linebacker out. And then on the far side, I think it was Jalen Hyatt, who was then running across the middle, wide open because the linebacker level had been vacated. The slot defender had been vacated because of those two routes that were in front of him. And he threw us the easiest pitch and catch for like the easiest eight yards that you're going to see. And I remember watching that play and I'm like, that's so good. Like that's the type of play design that you want. That's maximizing what your quarterback's going to see, the talent that you have at receiver and making and, and making use out of it. Oh yeah, I think this is it. Yes. Yes, this is it right here. And it's mm-hmm. just this is it it's just the easiest completion. It was actually for a lot more yards mm-hmm. than I thought it was. It was a first down and a lot more. But that to me, that play design is so fantastic. You are just manipulating exactly where the defenders are going to go on that play. Daniel Joe sees it so well. He knows exactly where to look, when he needs to look there. There's obviously the uh, the play-action RPO element there to it. And look at how much space he has to complete that pass. That was just oh, yeah. something that really stood out to me that I went, man, Kafka's in his bag. Like if, the, <laughs> like, like if they're throwing these plays out here in the preseason, thinking yeah. about what they're saving, what they don't want to show. Right. That's that's a really good sign. That is a great sign because you know they're not giving out their best stuff in the preseason yet to get play designs like we've seen. And we Nick and I have been a big we we at this point feel like he might be the most underrated offensive coordinator in the NFL because I don't think anyone really realizes how good of a job he did last year. A lot of people are still like, but he scored. I see people replying to me like, but he scored eighteen point nine points a game. I'm like. Yeah, look at the personnel he had to work with last year. That was like as good as you could get. He took a red zone often from dead last to top seven. Like, let's focus on the film here. Let's not look at the total points per game as if every team has Patrick Mahomes playing quarterback. I mean, come on, right. there's some context yeah. to play here. But I want to, I know we only have a few more minutes, so I want to make sure we get to this. So I want you to give the fans here a little bit preview of what to look forward to in the 2024 class. You're, I talked about it earlier. Top 150 is out. Maybe talk about some players at the following positions that might interest the Giants edge interior offensive line 
wide receiver because Giants fans still want wide receivers. Sure. And let's 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 keep it. And then if you have any off ball linebackers too, because I think this team would still really benefit from an off ball linebacker. Okay, so for edges, um, I've I mean, it's a fun year to need an edge rusher. I've got three edge rushers alone in my top thirteen right now on my one hundred fifty wow. big board. Um, Layatu Latu from UCLA, Chop Robinson from Penn State, and Jared Verse from Florida State. Uh, so those guys are three, two, and one. And they're just, I mean, they're a blast to watch. And there's so many other edge rushers. I mean, I didn't even mention Dallas Turner from Alabama, who has a chance to really take that next step if he gets a little bit stronger. Um, Braylon Trice is a bowl in a china shop, but the best way of a pass rusher from Washington. He's a ton of fun to watch. Um, JT Tui Lamoau uh, from, from Ohio State, one of the highest recruits that 247 has ever graded. And, uh, you wow. know, he's still got to figure it out, I think, a little bit. But uh, he's, his game is so fantastically well-rounded. So it's a really great year to need an edge rusher if you need one. Wide receiver, wide receiver is always fun, right? Uh, I don't think the Giants are going to pick, be picking anywhere near the realm they need to to get Marvin Harrison Jr., <laughs> who – uh, could be a wide receiver one on more than half to the teams in the league right now, but he headlines the class Malik neighbors, Emeka Igbuka, those two guys from LSU and then Ohio state as well. I think they can be first round picks. Keon Coleman from Florida state. He was at Michigan state. He is a absolute monster, man. I think it's the Penn state game that you want to go watch. It, I think it's that Penn state game where Keon Coleman has some catches that you go, who are, are you a superhero? Like, what is it like double covered guys draped all over him and you go, Oh, okay, good. He, he drew pass interference. I'm sorry. He caught the ball. And so it's just, that's one of those um, games where I think it's Penn state. It's gotta, be, yeah. I, I, Penn state or Ohio state was one of those two. <laughs> so if you got, if you got the tape, just go back and watch it. You'll be in awe, but wide receiver is really nice. Um, off ball linebacker. And there's some good ones. Barrett Carter from Clemson. And then his running mate, Jeremiah Trotter jr. From Clemson. Two fantastic players. I think, I think Carter's going to be linebacker one. He's going to be a first-round prospect. Trotter, I don't know if he's going to go in the first round just because he's a little bit limited athletically. He's a smaller of a linebacker, but he is so damn smart. And, yes, the name sounds familiar for a reason. He is Jeremiah Trotter Sr.'s son, and uh, you see the coach's background certainly in that. And then interior offensive line, that was the other one, right? Is that the other one you mentioned? Yep. There's some – so there's some really nice, I think, power players in this class. There's – some finesse guys that I have a little bit later in the rankings that could end up being really nice prospects. But right now at the very top of the class, Javian Cohen, who was at Alabama, he started at left guard for him. Now he's at Miami. Uh, he's somebody who has a punisher's mentality. And I, I, I think he's a little over aggressive at times, but he's got that, that strength that you want. Cedric Van Pran from uh, Georgia. He's been the center of that team for the last two national championship seasons that they've had. Love his power profile as well. Christian Mahogany, I feel like, would have been, oh, man. I'll say top 75 pick to be safe if he didn't tear his ACL before last season even kicked off. So if he comes back and he plays the way that we thought that he was going to, he could definitely be somebody who you're seeing in the early day two range. And then Zach Zinter from Michigan. That's, again, another power player who's coming from a phenomenal offensive line, a stacked offensive line, but he's one of the best guys in there. You talk about the guys that set the tone. If you had a Zach Zinter next to John Michael Schmitz, I mean, you'd be running duo blocks and you'd be carrying a three technique 10 yards down the field with those two guys. So um, I think that those are some of the early names in the class and some fun ones to watch for in college football. 
Awesome, Trevor. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Big Blue Bander podcast. We really appreciate it. Before you get out of here, why don't you let the people know one more time where they can find your work? Sure. Yeah. Uh, PFF.com. If you are into the NFL draft already, just want to kind of like a sneak peek or even want a list of guys that you should watch in college football, you can head over to the NFL draft tab over at PFF.com. Just click on the 2024 big board and my top 150 is all right there in order. So you can check that out. We also have that top 150 plugged into the mock draft simulator so if you feel like running some mock drafts you could also do that we're going to be updating that of course throughout the season when the draft order changes so you can uh you can see all that good stuff there and yeah like i said we'll be updating it throughout the year and uh can't wait for it The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.